Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikveh as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Terrigan has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. Hello and welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. How appropriate this Shabbat as we enter the three weeks, as we reunify as a nation, both the Jews and the communities in Eretz Yisrael and those in Chutzlaretz, finally all reading the same singular Parsha again, Parshat Pinchas. And as we look at this week's Parsha, and explore some of the themes, we're going to recognize how relevant these messages are, not only for our current time period of being socially and geographically distant, but certainly Ben Hamid Sarim, trying to work on ourselves as families and, and as communities of Am Yisrael. If you remember from last week's Parsha, the end of Parsha Balak, we heard about the notorious sin of Am Yisrael, of Baal Pa'or, the sin of promiscuity and idolatry, led by Zimri ben Salu, the prince of Shimon, and Kazbi Batsu, Batsor, the princess of Midian, and the vigilante initiative of Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen, who is going to kill these leaders. And Hashem, at the beginning of Parsha Pinchas, assures and promises Pinchas a brit of shalom, a covenant of peace, of kuhuna. But that's not enough. Hashem then says immediately thereafter, chapter 25, verse 16, Even though 24,000 members of Am Yisrael who sins in the sin of Baal Pa'or have died in a plague, now it's time to go to the root of the problem. Go and now harass the Midianites and smite them. For they harassed you through their conspiracy that they conspired against you in the name of Pa'or and in the name of Kozbi, who is a daughter of the leader of Midian. Go to uh, the people of Midian and particularly the woman of Midian who seduced you. And now it's time to take vengeance against them. And therefore, we're expecting and anticipating that the ensuing psukim are going to relate to us the story of this war against Midian. And yet we don't hear about the Milchama of Midian until, believe it or not, six chapters later, until we find in Perak Lamed Aleph, Vayitaber Hashem HaMoshe Lemur, Nekom Nekmat B'nei Yisrael Me'ita Midiani Machar Te'asef Alamecha. So our first question of the Parsha is, why don't we hear about, pardon the pun, but the execution of the Midianites, of the commandments of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to go and fight against Midian right after Hashem says it. Instead, chapter 26, we hear, and after the plague, just when you're anticipating that Am Yisrael are going to go ahead and wage war against the Midianites, 
There is a parshia divide. There's a parshia ptucha. The rest of the line remains open. There's an atnachta, basically a cancellation of a pause, telling us to pause in the middle of a pasuk, a dangling proposition. And after the plague, the next pasuk, the next line, I should say the continuation of the pasuk that only starts on the next line, tells us, Go and conduct a census, a census that reminds us of the very first census 38 years ago when Am Yisrael were ready to travel in the direction of Eretz Yisrael as they were beginning their journeys in the Midbar. And now we're going to close Sefer Midbar with a similar census. Nonetheless, why is there a new directive that Hashem is giving Moshe Rabbeinu before they go ahead and fight against the Midianim? And various Parshanim note this dangling proposition seemingly divides up the entire parshia. The Chizkuni comments and explains that we need to divide up the generations. And after the Magifa, teaching us that everyone who died until now, including the 24,000 members of Am Yisrael who died as a result of the sin of Baal Pa'or, that's a generation of those who won't enter Eretz Yisrael. But everyone from here on in, Hashem says, now it's time. After the Magifah, Suet Rosh Koladap in Israel count all those members of Am Yisrael who are going to ultimately enter the land of Israel very shortly and find out how many Yotzei Tzava, how many people are going to participate in the wars of the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. And albeit this is a beautiful explanation to help us appreciate the the divide between the generations, pre the plague, post the plague. Nonetheless, why then does Hashem command to fight against the Midianites before they're actually going to do so? Though our Hachayim explains that it's not only that the Magifa divides up the generations, but also tells us that the Magifa, together with the war against Midian, are going to be the two ways that Am Yisrael are going to fix the problems. It's not only the sinners within, it's also going to be the sinners without. It's not only the Magifa, we also need to fight against Midian. In which case, Or HaChayim continues to ask, so why don't they fight against Midian right away? And he quotes a Midrash Chazal explaining that just as Moshe Rabbeinu was appointed as a leader together with the conducting of a census, just as Hashem gave him a people together with counting of Am Yisrael, so too, as Moshe is going to leave, as Moshe is going to die, Hashem is going to bring them back from Moshe Rabbeinu. They're going to be returned also with a census. And perhaps then, as the Midrash explains, that Hashem, even though He's commanding Moshe to go ahead and wage war against the Midianites, knows that this is the very last act of Moshe Rabbeinu and therefore is trying to postpone the inevitable death of Moshe by first having him conduct a census. And then we're going to see other themes and other mitzvot that Moshe is going to be involved in as well before he fights against Midian and then before his last mitzvah speech and ultimately passing away before entering Eretz Yisrael. But the question is still, why do six chapters of commandments interrupt the directive to fight against Midian? 
what theme is there within these six commandments that help us understand why they can't yet fight against Midian. We need to know, as the Chizkuni and Or HaChayim say, that we have to, we have to deal with, uh, with Midian as well, but not yet. First, Hashem says, Nikom nikmat me'ita Midianim achar before you go ahead and fight against the Midianim in Paraglamid Aleph and then die, there are some things that have to be done first. Such as, as we just mentioned, Hashem commanding, Su'u et rosh koladat b'nei Yisrael mi ben esrim shana First, you have to conduct a census. Don't just think that fighting against Midian is going to take care of the problems of Baal Peor. And don't just think that the killing of 24,000 also solved all the problems of iniquities within Am Yisrael. No. Because what happened, after 24,000 men, men who sinned with promiscuity, were killed off within Am Yisrael, that means that there are 24,000 broken homes in Am Yisrael. Imagine Jewish society then. Men who have cheated on their wives, fathers who have cheated on their daughters, brothers who went off to other women, And the Torah, therefore, says, okay, you're going to go, and you're going to have to fight against the Midianites. But before you do, time out. First, you have to fix your broken homes. First, you have to deal with your domestic problems. First, you're going to have to rebuild your homes before your tribes again, before you're a nation again, that can then ward off your external enemies. And therefore, if you look carefully at Perachafav of the census, it's not exactly as we found at the very beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, that initial census, where in family clans were all counted, Levet Avutam. This time, Perachafav, we hear every single family, Ruvein Bechor Yisrael, Bnei Ruvein Chanoch, Mishpachat HaChanochi, Lepalu, Mishpachat HaPulii, Lechetzro, Mishpachat HaChetzroni, Lechermi, Mishpachat HaKarmi. Every Mishpacha, every single family is going to be counted. Hashem instructs Moshe Rabbeinu, rebuild families, give them an identity again, pick them up, count them as families, not just as clans, certainly not as tribes, because they're not tribes yet until they're families. And this is certainly going to be underscored all the more by the very next story, the story of Nachalot of Am Yisrael that are going to be divided up, not just per tribe, but per family. And this is when Benot Tzlovchad, let's take a look at how they're introduced. The daughters of Tzlovchad, who was the son of Chefer, who was the son of Gilad, who was the son of Machir, who was the son of Menashe, Lemishpachot Menashe. Notice not just the tribe of Menashe, the family of Menashe ben Yosef, Ve'elashemot benotav, and it's not just about the sons, it's about the daughters. Just as we have five times the mentioning of Ben Chefer, Ben Gilad, so too five daughters, Machla, Noah, Chogla, Milka, Tirza. And what is the argument of Benot Slovchad? Their argument is similar to the argument of those that at the beginning of Sefer Ben Bidbar said, Lama Nigaram, why should we lose out on the national Pesach experience? This time, Benot Slavchat say, why should we lose out on being part of a mishpacha? Or in other words, why should our father lose out on a family legacy? They argue in front of Moshe Rabbeinu, our father didn't have a son to inherit him and have a legacy of land in Eretz Yisrael. Lama yigara shem avinu? 
Why should our father's name be lost out? Mitoch mishpachto. Moshe, this is a time period more than ever before where we need family identity. We're in now with 24,000 families destroyed. Now we, a family of five daughters, you're not going to allow us to perpetuate our family through having continued legacy of connection. Connection to Ta'akadosh Baruch Hu, through the land of Eretz Yisrael, through the Nachala. Let our father's name not be lost, not for ourselves, but for his family. The idea of the Mishpacha is going to be emphasized. Ki'in lo ben, just because he doesn't have a son, doesn't mean that there isn't a family unit here. It's nalanu achuzah betocha chayavinu. And sure enough, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, kem benotzov chadovrot, naton titein lamachuzan nachala betoch achi avihem. Yes, they are going to inherit together with their father's brothers. They're part of this mishpacha. And you can't reestablish a people. You definitely can't fight national wars until your family is again, until you rebuild the family unit. And perhaps the greatest expression of this is going to be the beginning of next week's parsha, Parshat Matot, right before Am Yisrael can actually go ahead and fight against Midian, Hashem tells Moshe, Vayomer Moshe Bnei Yisrael, Hashem et Moshe, he addresses the leaders in particular, the Rashi Matot, and he says, "Ishki yador neder l'Hashem, oishava shvua l'asor isar al nafsho, lo yachel dvaro kochol hayotei mipiv yaase." If a man makes a neder, a covenant, he opens up his mouth, he has to fulfill his word. And similarly, a woman as well has to fulfill her word. And the milam mancha that continues is the word vishama. But in the case of a wife, if a father hears his daughter's neder and feels that there's reason to annul it because of perhaps again, effects that it may have on the rest of the family, vishama, he can be mefer, he can annul the neder. And similarly, a husband, if he listens to his wife and he decides not to annul her neder, then she still has to fulfill it. And if he listens and under certain circumstances, halachically, decides to annul the neder, then the neder is annulled. But first it starts with vishama. Pasukhe vishama aviha et nidra. Pasukvav biyom shamo. Pasukhet vishama isha biyom shamo. Pasuktet biyom shamoa. Pasuk yud bet, vishama isha. Pasuk yud gimel, biyom shamo. And again, pasuk tedvav, biyom shamo. Pasuk tedzayin, acharei shamo. In other words, no less, as we see here, than nine times is the word shama employed. Fathers, listen to your daughters. Husbands, listen to your wives. Because that's how Baal Pa'or happens in the first place. I can imagine men that were going off saying, oh, I'm just going to hang out by Baal Pa'or for a little while. And I can imagine daughters screaming after the fathers, Abba, Abba, don't go, don't. Again, don't leave Ima like this. Again, don't go after these women. And I can imagine mothers and wives warning their husbands, you know the effects that it's going to have on the family. You know the breakdown of the family that this is going to have. And therefore, the Torah says, before you go out and fight wars, it's not enough that the people who committed the sins are dead. No, you have to fix society. You have to build the families again. And it's built through identifying every single family through a census, through making sure Benot Slavcha's argument of we want to continue the legacy of a mishpacha is going to be granted through vishama vishama. 
through members of the family listening one to the other, not listening or being on the cell phone all the time, and not, not trying to avert the, their attentions outside, but rather listen. Here we have a wonderful opportunity with quarantining and social distancing to listen to each other, to make that time, to rebuild these units in society. And maybe that's what's happened over the past years, that we've lost touch with the family unit with uh, globalization and with social media, we've forgotten about these family values. Go back to your homes and listen and identify yourselves as a home. Listen. And immediately thereafter, and then, sorry, that's when we hear that now we're ready to go ahead and fight against the Midianites. Now that you're families again, now you're finally ready to fight against Midian. Of course, you have to fight against your external enemies, but first you have to deal with the domestic issues. First, you have to rebuild yourselves as families. And once we fight against Midian, then... Not only are we going to be families again, but we rebuild ourselves back to the tribal level. That's what Bamidbar Paraklamid Vav, the very last chapter of our Sefer that we're going to explore more next week, talks about when uh, the people of the tribe of Menashe say it's very nice that they're families of Menashe, but if the daughters marry outside of the families, then we're going to lose part of our tribal identity. And in fact, Hashem responds to this as well and says it's true, the people of Menashe also have an excellent point. Cain Mateb And therefore the daughters of Tzlovchad have to marry not only within the family but within the tribe of Menashe to make sure that the tribal identity is going to be maintained as well. But we can't even get to a tribe until we first have a family. We can't certainly fight as a nation until we go back to that domestic identity of family life. I think that this parsha speaks for itself with regard to what wisdom and wellness may be extrapolated. This is the Shabbat to go back into our homes. And many of you are saying, we've been doing that for numerous weeks and months already. But yes, this is the Shabbat as we enter the three weeks. If we really want to appreciate what a binyana de'ad, what a bayit for HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all about, maybe it's time that we just listen to each other once again. That before we start listening to this politician and that politician, before we listen to everyone around us and all the cacophonous voices that we hear throughout the day, it's time, particularly on Shabbat, to turn it all off and in a very healthful manner, listen to one another. Listen to one another around the Shabbat table. Listen to the values. Listen to the conversation. Listen to uh, the troubles, the experiences, the highs and the lows, the thorns and uh, the beautiful, beautiful events that have happened throughout the week. This is an opportunity to truly build our homes again. Parsha Pinchas tells us you can go ahead and fight against all your enemies. You can deal with any pandemics and any magifa on the outside, but the only way that you're really going to cure yourselves, you don't need any external vaccine Maybe this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us. You want to make sure that there isn't a second wave of a magifa, of a plague, or, or a pandemic? Each one according to their mishpacha. Go back 
and find your family voice. Go back to your family values. And once you do that, then you can rebuild yourselves as a nation once more. Shabbat shalom umivorach. Hi, this is Gabrielle Hellas. I'm a Madrichat Kalot and an intimacy counsellor, and I'm excited to welcome you all to a new segment on this podcast, Mikvah Minute, in which I'll share my thoughts answering real-life questions about the Mikvah experience and related issues. I hope you enjoy them and that they give you food for thought. I welcome your feedback and questions at podcasts at theedencenter.com. Hi, everybody. There's been a lot of discussion about hygiene in the mikveh and can we or can't we go during corona times. But no one's been talking about the other challenge, the fact that our kids are awake at all hours of the day and expect us to be home all the time. And when we want to go to the mikveh, all the questions of, Mom, where are you going? Why are you taking a shower now? How do we respond? The truth is, I think that this question is relevant at all times, not just during COVID-19. I think that this question is not so much about corona, but about how we approach our openness about sexuality, our bodies, mikvah, and intimacy with our kids. As a madrichat kalot, I find that the kalot who have been brought up in religious homes don't need to have color lessons to learn hilchot kashrut in order to know how to run a kosher home. However, they do need to learn hilchot nida. They've absorbed the do's and don'ts of running a kosher kitchen through osmosis throughout their lifetime. They may not be aware that many of the practices that they do at home are stringencies. But due to the fact that everyone does them, they feel normal. For example, many people have two sinks or different colored cleaning sponges for dairy and meat, even though these are not absolute halakha. When we come to learn about Hilchot Nida, we're learning everything from scratch, everything from a text with no ingrained nuance of this is how my parents do it or this is how my community practices these laws. Many of my kalot are keen to learn which laws are Araita, which are Rabbanan, which are Chumrot, which are Minhag, as a way of gauging the importance of the Halachot, as they don't have any other way to gauge it. I think that we have the opportunity to change this by talking openly with our children about Tuma and Tahara, Nida, Mikvah from an early age. And by doing so, they'll have an appreciation of this mitzvah being an integral part of a Jewish family's life from a young age. The big question is, is how do we do this? Why do we find it so difficult to talk to our kids about the mikvah? I think that there are many reasons for this. Some people just don't feel comfortable talking about anything pertaining to their bodies. This can often be connected to the way that they were educated or raised, the culture that they come from. And others feel that it's a private topic and it shouldn't be discussed. Maybe they were raised on fictitious stories that their mums would tell them when they were going to the mikvah, such as, I'm just going to visit a friend, or I'm going to help out a lady, doing an errand, I'm going swimming. And they feel that they need to do the same, or they're embarrassed and concerned that if their children know when they're going to the mikvah, then that means they'll make a direct connection to knowing when they are intimate with their husbands. It's important to remember that when we talk about period mikvah nidda to our young children, they aren't making that connection between mikvah, nida, and intimacy. Of course, there are sugyot that discuss keeping our mikvah attendance discreet. However, it's really important to differentiate between discretion and privacy versus secrecy. We don't need to broadcast that we're going to the mikvah to our community WhatsApp group. But if we choose to share it with our kids in an appropriate way, for practical or educational purposes, then it's positively healthy. We choose what we want to share, 
how much to share, with which children and at what stages. And by discussing this private and intimate topic in a private and intimate way, we act as a role model for our children. So where do we start? I think we have a lot of different options and I'm just going to suggest a few different ideas. You can pick and choose, take on whatever feels appropriate to you and your family. When our kids come into the bed in the middle of the night or in the morning and fall through the two beds onto the floor and ask why the beds apart, we could simply answer, sometimes they're together and sometimes they're separate. For the slightly older child, you might want to say, when mummy's knitter, the beds are apart. When mummy's tahara, they're together. This answer could be followed by further questions by your child, yet frequently not. If they come back and ask you what does that mean, then the answer would vary depending on the, depending on the age of your child. Our answers can change with the age of our children, and we can ensure that we are literally just answering the question at hand. At the age that it seems appropriate to you, you could explain that when we get our period, we become nida. And in order to change our status, we need to count a certain number of days and then we go to the mikvah. At various points during our children's lives, different questions may arise. We want to keep the dialogue open so that our children feel comfortable to ask. If they want to know about the actual mikvah and what we do there, we may want to go into details of how we prepare or what a mikvah looks like. We could take them for a visit to the mikvah. And it might start by taking them with us just to Toivul Kalim and point out the mikvah for women next door. We may explain about chatzitzot as we remove the stickers from the new pots and pans that we're toiveling, and explain what removing chatzitzot from our body entails. We may want to go to the mikvah on Erev Yom Kippur with our daughters, which gives them the opportunity to experience the mikvah for themselves as single young women. I know that for those of us who didn't start discussing these topics with our children when they were very young, find it difficult and slightly uncomfortable to open up the topic suddenly when they are teenagers. In this situation, we don't need to jump in and explain everything when we have never done so in the past. This could potentially feel uncomfortable for both the parent and the child. I think that when we can seize opportunities to discuss these topics, when the natural opportunity arises, then that's great. For example, our kids will often learn in Mishnayot or in Torah classes different things pertaining to mikvah, tumma, tahara. We can take this as an educational opportunity to elaborate about what we do or don't do nowadays. And that's where we can make them understand that it's all part of our Jewish household and Jewish way of life even today. If we start educating our young children about the fact that mummy goes to the mikvah and that taking a bath or a shower before is part of the preparation, then it becomes easier to continue that dialogue with them as they become older. As it has simply become a part of their everyday life. Something that mummy does, not taboo. And the child isn't connecting it to intimacy, intimacy between mummy and daddy, but rather intimacy with one's own body and a way of connecting to God. Focus should always be on the actual question rather than on all the surrounding information. If asked, why do you go? You can explain that a married woman needs to go to the mikveh according to the halacha. If she wants to know when or he wants to know when you go, you might say it's seven days after finishing her period. The simpler and more open our communication about it is, the less taboo and awkward it will become. At this point, it's important to mention to your child that you're happy to answer his or her questions. However, it is a private topic that isn't for sharing with friends, but the mummy and daddy are happy to talk about it with them. You also may want to specify that it's a topic that you prefer to discuss one-on-one -on -one rather than around the family dinner table, that it's an intimate topic for an intimate discussion. And this way, we act as a role model teaching our children in a healthy way 
about mikvah at the same time as we're teaching them about boundaries, privacy, and how to share private things in an appropriate way. This may come as a surprise to you, but our kids generally figure things out themselves, inevitably either from friends, school, or the internet. If we can be the ones to talk about mikvah to our children, and they see how we prepare, the mood in the house, the role that it plays in our lives, we can affect the way our children approach the mitzvah and the way they will pass it on to our grandchildren. Rather than our mikvah attendance being shrouded by fictitious stories, codes, secrecy and embarrassment, we can discuss it with pride and open communication. If we want to promote healthy body image and comfort with our own bodies, then healthy conversations about the halachot pertaining to our bodies is a good place to start. The comfort with which we can talk to our children about these things sends a very strong message that it's okay to talk to mummy and daddy. We become the address for talking about our bodies, changes, intimacy and sexuality. We send a message to our kids that they can be open with us about things that they are going through, rather than them seeking other avenues. We are able to share with them the central Jewish values and halachot pertaining to our bodies, intimacy and sexuality in the Jewish home. Shabbat Shalom. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you. Or a yard site or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honor of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb, and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships, and support. You can reach us at www.theedencenter.com. <laughs>